Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 230, Life After Alcohol with Jim Hobbs. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey there, welcome back to Changeable. Before we get into this episode with Jim Hobbs, I wanted to mention that for the holidays, we're offering two of my best programs at a really big discount. So from now until the end of the year, the Guided Little School of Big Change program, which is the one that I'm in there supporting with my moderators, you get coaching and support and calls the whole way through. It begins in mid-February and it's a six-week course. That one is just $3.99 and that's $100 off the regular price. And the Change Coach Self-Study Program, which is a phenomenal, amazing self-study for people who want to look toward sharing this understanding with other people, it includes the Little School of Big Change Self-Study, but also so much more that's specific to coaching and it has full coaching sessions. It has so much amazing content around using this to help others that one is $400 off the regular price. So you can go to my website and just see where you would typically buy these and the discounts are reflected there. I'll also put the links in the show notes. So this conversation with Jim Hobbs um, about life after drinking, I really love. And I'll just share a little bit of like the backstory of how this came to be. So way back um, five years ago, a little over five years ago, I think, well, I don't know. It was right around five years ago because it was just as the Little School of Big Change was coming out, was launching. The Little Book of Big Change had been out for maybe a year or so. Um, I was doing these freedom stories, I think I called them. I can't remember what they were called, but I did one with Amanda, who's now been part of our school for the whole time. Um, I did them with a bunch of people who at that point had kind of reached out to me and said, wow, like this totally changed things for me. I've had a major, you know, walked away from an addiction, a habit, whatever it is, anxiety, um, because of because of this paradigm, because of this understanding that you share. And so I just record those and it was really fun. Very similar to kind of, you know, what we might do now by having people on the podcast. So this guy reached out to me and it was Jim Hobbs and I didn't know him, but he said, hey, if you ever want to talk, your book was really helpful for me and quitting drinking. And so we had this great conversation. It's this guy that uh, I learned that used to uh, own a travel company that I had actually been a a user of. (laughs) I had been a customer of for a long time. He and his wife started and owned this travel company. He was kind of the party guy. You know, alcohol was a big part of his life. They sold the company. They moved to Paris. Um, That's where I was speaking to him from. And he was sharing with me at that time that He just saw the book on Amazon, I think it was, um, read it, and it was super helpful. And he really was insightful about it. And it was it was new. I think he had, you know, it was hadn't been long since he had last drank. But just some of the stuff he shared in this conversation just really kind of blew me away. So I sort of stayed in touch with him on Facebook, mostly just me uh stalking him on Facebook or following him, I should say. I wasn't stalking him, but seeing what he's up to, seeing his posts every once in a while. And recently I saw that he was celebrating his five years. Um, And along the way, I had just seen so much change for someone. Like it really looked like like the like the stuff he was sharing, you know, he was now like doing this ministry stuff and he was he was 
helping coach basketball, which he always loved. Like he was doing so many things and just being really open and honest about what it was like to not have this addiction in his life anymore and how so much it opened up from that. And it, and it was really just inspiring to me. And so I wanted to have a conversation with him to talk about, especially the, the beginning. And it, it was this, this sense that I got in watching him and seeing his story unfold that, man, I don't think he knew and I don't think anyone knows when you're in the habit, when you're in the addiction, what is possible for you? I just don't think we know that. What we see, obviously, is this is going to be hard. <laughs> this is There's a purpose to this habit. It's been my coping. It's been my numbing. It's been, it's kept me quote unquote comfortable for a long time. It, like there's stuff that comes up when you quit. Obviously, there's stuff you have to face. And it makes such sense that that is in our faces when we're thinking about quitting something, you know, that's huge and that looms very large. But then from an outside perspective, being able to watch Jim and see, wow, look at how life has just like taken him under its wing and all that has opened up for this man. He could have never known that, but, and we can't ever know that maybe, but we, we just lean in and, and let it show the way, let it guide the way. So we talk about that in this episode. Um, I think he calls it science fiction, like how as a as a drinker or again, whatever your habit is, you can't even imagine what life is like as a non-drinker. You just can't. It's just fiction to you at that point, You're just making stuff up. But that you just kind of lean in and let life pull you through. Um, Jim talked about how without some bigger spiritual connection, I can't remember how he said it, but it really stuck with me after our conversation. Something along the lines of like, what's the point? <laughs> like, what's the point really of being alive without some deeper sense of connection to something bigger? And I feel the same way and I love that. And and so we talked a little about how that is ultimately what moves us through recovery and, you know, anything, anything we're up against in life, nothing else, not what we do, not steps, not making amends, not any, anything specific. It's that bigger connection beneath and in our willingness to open to that, that always does it for people. Um, We talked about facing the stuff that comes up when you stop drinking, you know, because stuff does come up. And yeah, overall, I just love love this conversation. Jim's great. He he has shared his email address, which I'll put in the show notes. He's now helping support people, you know, who are in recovery, um, and he's happy for people to reach out if they'd like. Um, and I just think you're going to hear a lot in this conversation around drinking and quitting drinking, but much much bigger than that. So enjoy this conversation with Jim Hobbs. Hey Jim, thank you so much for coming on Changeable. Hey Amy, thanks for having me. I'm just great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. So um, so I was telling you before we hit record, I, I really would love to hear about your journey um, in the past. Is it five years now? Five years. Yep. Just five turned, years. Turned wow. Five. Awesome. <laughs> um, since you stopped drinking. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, I love to, you know, we can kick it off a little bit and talk about kind of how, what made you decide to quit, like, you know, life as you were drinking and that kind of stuff. But I'd love to just look at how the last five years have gone, because I think when people are newly, newly alcohol free, or even just contemplating it, you know, 
contemplating it is maybe the hardest part because it it maybe looks like it, yeah, <laughs> like it looks like it does something for you, yet yet you know it's hurting you, and that mm-hmm. you know, and it just I know in that point it, it can feel like man, I know I need to quit this, but oh my gosh, what is going to happen? So. Well, I love to kind of just see how things have, can open up in a really yeah. Great no, it's a great way to uh, to dive in and uh, and I totally get that. You know, drinking is a is a relationship. It's very relational, and so there is deep grief um, in thinking about and contemplating going without something that has been there a lot of your life and something you love. So for me. I had begun drinking, um, you know, toward the end of high school, maybe like a lot of people. But for me, when alcohol hit my system, the excitement, I mean, I was, I was adrenalized. I, I, uh, I had never had so much energy and fun. I mean, it was just like, woohoo. And, and I just kept the party going. Just no one gave me the rule book or the guy that said, you know, this is supposed to not, this is supposed to be a season. I kept the season going for 35 years until I was 51. So that's a long time. And a lot of people don't make it um, because uh, it can destroy um, not just your entire body, mind, and, and, and almost your soul, but all your relations. That's sort of the intent of it. So, yeah, I, I mean, what began the change in me really was reading your book, the little book of a uh, big change that, yeah. That began something within me that I was like, wait a minute, I'm not thinking about this correctly. And I knew that I needed to do something, but I had never looked at it in the light of maybe something here needs to be addressed in the way that I'm thinking and the way that I'm sort of uh, approaching the subject. So I I gave it a try and I, I went sober then for about I think it was like 14 months, which was the longest I'd ever gone um, with a couple pockets in there. And then, you know, one big night uh, in Brussels uh, with some Belgian beers, all it took to kind of derail that process. And so what I learned um, through the entire uh, ordeal was that I was longing for something. I was deeply longing for a love and companionship and, 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 and had had this longing from the day I could remember and alcohol kind of gave me a substitute, but wasn't what I was longing for. And then eventually I had a spiritual moment when I was uh, up in London on like a three day bender. And the voice that I know of as what I would call God kind of asked me a question that I, I couldn't answer. And, uh, it was like it's okay. We're 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 going to go to rehab, and then um, I said a few words that I probably shouldn't say here. <laughs> that was the last thing I wanted to hear, and so yeah, November seventh, two thousand seventeen, I checked into Karen Treatment Center, which is in Pennsylvania, one of the world leaders in treatment, and uh, you know, I always wanted to be a pastor, minister, and. I was wondering, how am I going to do this when I messed up all the time? And so my first chapel service that when I go to here, I see the leader, Father Bill, and I see Reverend Jack up there. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm getting my ministry here at Karen. So I follow this directive that I need to come here. And there they are. And I'm like, that's me. That's 
that's me. I'm now going to get a talk about being drunk and the, my escapades and telling all, you know, all my vulnerabilities, things I wouldn't want anyone to know actually become the core of the healing process and get the transformation and restoration going for everyone. I was like, this is so trippy. So, so next thing I know, I'm like, that's going to be me. And now five years later, yeah, I went back to seminary. Um, I'm getting my Master of Divinity degree. I do chapel. I'll run chapel here for the next three weeks at Karen Treatment Center. And I'm not going to say it's a straight line that that things are are like always um, better from the expectation standpoint. But life in recovery is science fiction. It's like explaining heaven to someone who's never been there, which would be all of us. And we can't, I feel like, comprehend. No one knows what it is. And that's life to someone who's in active addiction. When you try to explain life and recovery, I mean, if you'd explain this to me, I wouldn't understand it. It just wouldn't make sense. And now in recovery, suddenly I can see what all that means. Without spirituality, there's no reason to do recovery, in my opinion. There's no reason to do life, in my opinion, without spirituality and that spiritual core of who you are and this centered love. And I don't mean religion. I mean, I mean, this understanding of who you are and the love that you actually have within you. And so letting that sort of evolve becomes part of the process. So, yeah, I have to thank you for the for the book. That was a big help. <laughs> I'm glad it played a role. Um, that's awesome. I love, okay, a couple of things you said. I mean, I think it's so huge to just really hit home that in active, in, in addiction, we, you cannot even fathom what it's like to not be in it. And I know that from my time with food back when I used to smoke all, I mean, I, and I talk about this a lot when I was a smoker, I loved smoking so much, <laughs> but the dissonance was off the charts, you know, right. I'm like, I can't right. do this and a man, do I want to? And, and so yeah. I quit thinking, hey, life is going to suck. Like, I, yeah. but, but I have to just suck it up. You know, the rest of my, I quit. I was like 25. I'm like, all right, rest of my years are going to be really horrible. Over. <laughs> but, you know, I guess I'll do it. And, and man, obviously very wrong about that. And so it ha- I imagine it's the same with alcohol. And I think that's so huge for people to see. So, yeah. Can you say a little more about yeah, that? Yeah. And, and I think you, you hit there such a good point that there is something about it that that might suck um and that's it because you're going to have to go somewhere you haven't gone before and you're going to have to be open to what life is going to bring you now that's going to be different and yeah i always encourage uh, everyone here uh, at karen and, and anyone i'm dealing with in especially new recovery to honor the grief that you're feeling yeah. um, because it's real you, you are having to break up with something that has provided you a solution to the problem, which was life's not going to be fun. Um, whatever you're trying to sort of, of um, use the substance for, it has, a, it has a purpose. And that purpose is not, not worthy of looking at. And so, yeah, I, I feel like trying to think your way into what life will be like in re- in recovery or just not doing a habit you've done for a long time is is impossible right the brain can't do it but then hearing stories of people who have 
done it is really where you get this sort of and when you talk for what i've seen you talk about this deep longing what were you looking for and what did you get out of the drug that or the habit that you were doing because whatever's in there is really what's driving your desire for something more and as you get truthful and vulnerable about that I think you begin to see that it is this uh, very, very uh, strong emotional attachment to something that is calling you for more. And, 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 and you're thinking, I have to give up on that calling now. I, I can't. Well, no, actually, you get an opportunity to see what it is that is calling you and what it is that desires you. Um, and, and if it's your inner sacredness, which is what I believe it is, then you're being called into a new relationship. Um, which has all these makings of what you what you need. So seeing people who have who have done that is the difference. Because I think recovery sucks if you're just going to white knuckle it. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. That's what I tell people. If this wasn't fun, and I'm like an Enneagram Seven, if anybody still uses, it, you know, like it, it, it's all about fun and pain avoidance for me in my life. And so if if this sucked, no way. I would not do it. I would put up with the drinking. I would go back to it if this sucked. Um, that's true, but it doesn't. In fact, it's it's um, it's so full of everything that I ever wanted. Um, and you you have to give yourself the opportunity to get there. So for me, five years. Um, but each day opens up a new doorway, a new window into this sort of cloud of unknowing or you know if you if you will so dark nights of the soul tend to lead to this discovery of a deep awakening and you know no pain no gain which which sucks <laughs> but but i love how it, it also kind of ties into what you said like what about what's what's the point of living and especially how can we do that how can we quit something that feels like it gives us something yeah. If we don't have some deeper connection. And, and so, yes, if you're sitting there in active addiction and you're trying to think your way through this logically with no sense of anything beyond you and your willpower and your mind, I mean, I'm with you. It's just not going to work. Just don't even. But, but right. if, we can, if we can kind of be in that place of like, I don't know how it's going to go. I, I don't know is the most powerful thing in the world, right? I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but something's pulling me there. This isn't working. Then it sounds like there's just, it's just, you're moved through it. Right. And there, so what you just said was so important. I think I don't know, but, and then what you said is something, you know, something is pulling yeah. me there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, it's a cognitive sort of dissonance between what your mind's saying. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And your insight is saying, I do know. I do know. I know something is pulling me there. And so there is a destination that the conscious mind can't really receive, especially in active addiction. I mean, we have no control as we now know of our prefrontal cortex, which just happens to be, all of the things we use with decision making and impulse control. And then we wonder why do we do these crazy things? Yeah. Well, you know, if you can't really make decisions, it makes sense. So 
trusting in that connectivity. And yeah, I get so many people tell me, oh, I just I broke away from my soul. I disconnected. You know, well, I don't think it's possible to disconnect from yourself. I think it's possible to think you've disconnected from yourself. So your awareness is now disconnected. But if your soul is sacred and you carry that within you, I don't think physically, biologically, that we can actually separate the two. So the good news is it is within you and the answers are you. And that is who you are, right? That's what you're saying. What's the purpose of life? Um, The purpose of life is to find a relationship that you're looking for in the drug of choice with yourself. That will give you what you're looking for. And so there's hope in that and delivering hope a lot of times is what's needed in the midst of when it's really bad. Yeah. So how was it for you to view alcohol as this thing that, that gave you energy and made you the life of the party and then, and then be off of it? I mean, did you experience, I would think even just your expectation, even just your mind pairing those together and which was what minds do, right? And saying this is, this drug gives me X that as soon as you take X out of the equation, your mind's just going to complete the sentence and say, oh, well, now life is dull and boring and all of that. Like, did you go through some of that? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I I think because I was 51 and I, I'll be 57 later this month, I, I had reached a season of life that and had gone through several seasons where suddenly it just was no longer making a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So if I was younger and, and it worked, you know, in my case. I was a sport. I was a the, the worst accountant that maybe ever graduated from Indiana University, <laughs> and I kind of got fired from that. And then I was a sportscaster for ten years. That was great. Alcohol, sports. I mean, competition. They all went hand in hand for me. And then I started with my wife a dot com travel company called CheapCaribbean.com. It somehow did really well, and the it, the addiction was fueling all of it. So I was able to, you know stay up late nights and just drink insane amounts. Get I would get on the treadmill for three, four hours, do emails, drink a bottle of rum and two, two liters of Diet Mountain Dew. I, I was not a normal, if there is such a thing, a normal drinker. I wanted to push it to the limit, something no one had done before. And so in recovery, where I began to learn was that I was doing something maybe no one had done before that kind of got me excited. I was going from that life to this life. And my internal soul knew that it was time because my decision-making was getting so bad. I was just wanting to end all the relationships that mattered most in my life and, and go do more things for me and for alcohol to go do together. And so just having a bit of that window of awareness let me know that, you know, this fun that I'm calling fun at 51, I'm not entirely sure that's fun yeah. anymore. And I wanted to rest. You know, I wanted to go home is what I figured out. And what I figured out what most of us want is to go. I wanted to go home. And home to me meant where it was safe, it was quiet, it was peaceful. I could rest. I could feel this sort of unconditional love. And I just wanted to be held. And so alcohol wasn't holding me in the way that I needed to be held anymore. Nothing was. Yeah. And that was kind of the, the depressing part. Um, 
And so understanding that my soul would be there to hold me, you kind of got to jump and see what catches you. Um, and, uh, yeah, that in, in my case, spirituality caught me, but yeah, I was a little worried. I, I was, I was, I was very worried. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's so ironic in a way how, how we forget to relax. I mean, we're always held. We, we, we know this as children and then it's like just strange in a way how we grow up and we get these ideas and we get so identified with thought in our mind and this thing and that thing. And we feel to your point, we're never, we're never distanced. We can't be distanced. It is who and what we are, mm-hmm. but, but we're so listening to this conversation, these conversations in our head that we think we're so far away. And then all the effort we do in the in the name of relaxing and being back home, you run on a treadmill and drink a bottle of rum. Like that's not relaxing, Jim. <laughs> but you did it to feel relaxed and at home. And it's like we could laugh about this right. now, but it's it's what we're all doing in a sense until we're not. You know. Yeah, you're right. And it's I think survival is a is a part of it. And and you know it's funny not to feel pain. I ran on the treadmill and, and drank all that, not to make things boring, not to be like everybody else when at the end of the day, yeah, there was, I think survival becomes, especially in childhood. I mean, I think it all goes back to childhood and it all, like you're saying, this idea of being held, you know, if, if trauma, you know, Gabor Mate is always, when it comes to trauma, you know, it's not what happens to us. It's how the body actually receives what happened to us and processes it. And so, our traumatic experiences that we found to be traumatic as a child, we begin to compensate for, I feel like, in all sorts of ways. And as we make these modifications, um, you know, like I did, my mom loved me, but I didn't even know until after she died um, nearly two and a half years ago now that, that my father told me she was hooked on amphetamines for most of my childhood. I'm like, dude, you, why did you like, Okay, things make more. Well, he's like, well, I didn't think you needed to know. Well, things make a little more sense now in about a million different ways. Like, why is mom napping? Like, why am I in my crib and no one's coming? No, nobody's paying any attention. Yeah. Like, what's happening here? And so, if I don't have a voice, if I'm stuck, if I feel like I've now got to take matters in my own hands, well, then of course I begin to play out these kind of patterns and habits and roles in my life and anything that then adds to it. So that's always, I feel like the great news about addiction. It makes sense. Yeah, It makes sense. You're not an alcoholic. You're not a druggie. You're, you're basically treating a problem with a solution that's just not really going to be sustainable or going to work. And there's reasons for it. You have genetic reasons, you have ancestral reasons, you have trauma reasons, you have childhood development, attachment. I mean, you can go through the list. And is it a disease or not? I mean, who cares? I mean, yeah. actually, that's probably for, for insurance providers. It, the, the answer is, it makes complete sense while you're doing what you're doing. And you're okay. It's okay that you did that. But for whatever reason, now it's time. And this is the new season and it's going to be scary and you're going to need people and mentors who've been there and who've done this and let's walk through it together relationally, which is really hard for people who have isolated. 
I mean, especially post-COVID here, the isolation has gotten so intense and the loneliness and the factors that are involved with people don't associate with others. You know, you are walking into a new world. So yeah, that vulnerability is just so crucial to to be open to it Um, because I had to grieve the loss of that fun. I won't have fun like that. But as you get older, like I, I don't, I don't want that, but I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I look back people. I mean, I think I still kind of look back at that and go, yeah, that was, that was kind of (laughs) cool. You know, like, like it's because I know it was how it was me, you know, and then you can tell your whole story. You don't have to just tell a part of it. You can be integrated and holistic and authentic, which I think is crucial. Yeah. And it's like, we, we all know and sense there's something so much bigger but yet at the same time, to your point, like when you were doing that, that was fun. And for you, where you were in your consciousness and how things felt to you, that was as fun as it got. And that's okay. And then we're just always evolving and our consciousness is expanding. And now now it's now fun is a different thing and comfort is a different thing. So it's like just to let that be fluid and always redefining itself. There's no fault in it. It's just how like right exactly because the story we tell about ourselves in our mind is just a story, right? I mean, yeah. so we're if our mind is te- our if our identity is rooted in what we do or what we've done or who we associate with or what drugs and alcohol we use, we quickly lose our own identity. Um, and so I think identity loss becomes a big issue in addiction treatment because now we're, who are we? Um, and we never were what we thought we were. And now we don't know who we are, but at the end of the day, we aren't anything. I mean, but a story made up in our mind. So once we kind of get over, I think the understanding of our, of who we are goes into the heart of spirituality. And I think that's good because as we do get out of addiction, we do realize that while we thought it was all fun, it wasn't all fun for everyone around us. And it did cause pain and it did cause harm. And that's not who we are either. But at the same time, we do have to own the actions um, that occurred. Some we remember, some we don't, but the subconscious tends to keep a track record of this. So we somatically have it in our body a lot of this stuff that then needs to that then needs to come out and be processed so under that's the key understanding your identity isn't what you're doing or what you've done but is in something rooted in in a sort of home that can never be taken away or changed or redefined it truly is calling you to be in relationship with you so you can understand what you really and who you really are and uh yeah without that it's hard yeah. yeah and those identities getting like challenged and then stripped away and all of that um i mean yeah that's like probably the hardest thing a human can go through a psychological human can go through yet it seems like it's also what pushes us into this bigger identity of you know our <laughs> spiritual sense really like right? when you have nothing else to grab onto what are you going to do <laughs> it's going to be scary up- for a minute yeah. but then you're kind of like then you you know the bigger picture comes into view right yeah you you're you hit on what i think is the biggest part of the way someone especially early in their recovery process needs to look at their life and that is 
this is happening by divine, uh, by divine plan. Yeah. Like you haven't botched this up at all. How, if, if a higher power is on a rescue mission, well, if you don't need to be rescued, I guess the mission's over. If a, if, if, if the divine is on a, a mission of restoration and reconciliation, well, then if you don't need to be restored or reconciled, well, sorry, I guess you're just not part of the plan. So, of course, that's painful to, to play out, but you're right. You, you have to come and surrender becomes the word. And obviously for trauma victims, that word is, is triggering. So the, the language has to be right in the safety of, of everyone's, um, you know, past and current wounding needs to be held in this space uh, of real um, nurturing and care and love of we're going to, you're not going to have to reestablish a new identity because you never were who you thought you were. We're going to show you who the divine says you are. Mm-hmm. And that opens a, a doorway into a, a sacred window that they haven't really walked before a lot of them because religion and religious trauma, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people at care and treatment have suffered at the hands of horrific religious trauma when it comes to uh, LGBTQ, gender identity, patriarchal, uh, and and child abuse. I mean, like it's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. So in our spirituality team, we're we're there to treat them, um, and hold them for that. And they come in with a pretty angry view of religion, and I think we do too. I think we're all about this understanding of the sacredness of who you are and this collectedness of how we all together are in relation and and loving one another as we get healthier and and safer to ourselves. So, uh, yeah, yeah, makes it tough. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just more identities that we need to shed Mm. if they're identities, but it's, it's beliefs that stuff put on us, some of the religious stuff. Yeah. And then it just, it's just more stuff. It feels like to shed, but I love what you're pointing toward is like, there's just an essence behind all of that. Anything that hurts, anything that feels limiting or tight or restrictive or less than infinity is, is a construct. Someone gave it to us, our mind made it up. Who the heck knows all, like you said, all the places it comes from, but (laughs) those constructs, you know, they, they come up and they hurt. And so that we can see them and then we can see through them and they can, they can fall away. Yeah. It's so necessary. It's like Inception, the movie in the dream sequence where they uh, have five layers of dreams and everything's (laughs) collapsing. Right. And it's like (laughs) your whole world of what you thought was and who you are. It collapses, but it collapses, like you're saying, into this essence. I love how you said essence. That's a great word, I think, to use. Into this essence of truth and uh, unspokenness, silence. You know, the, the the depth of the richness of the relational value of silence in um, the mindfulness and, and the way that we heal. Um, there's such a healing component to all of this that to me it feels like well suddenly life's purpose becomes you know about healing yourself which tends to heal others um and and that healing process is is sort of the ongoing recovery life let's call it um 
which becomes, like you're saying, it's a curiosity. It's an exploration into the unknown. And if you can be okay with that, um, yeah, it's it. it be, life becomes an invitation to discover not just yourself, but others. If we're all doing the best we can at any moment in time, which I think we probably are, and a lot of us, that's good or bad by our own judgment rules, then why can't we just invite everyone into that space with that understanding and then be able to share with one another how that's going? And uh, yeah, community becomes the answer, which is scary for I didn't want community. I was an alcoholic. I, I don't want anyone around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scary. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think back, I'm curious about how your recovery went is gone. Mm -hmm. um, if there are like phases to it, if you can think of like the first six months, for example, or whatever the time period is arbitrary, but if there was like an initial time, especially with, you know, with regard to like a few things, I mean, one, just feeling discomfort, because mm -hmm. that's why we do this stuff, right? So you had to have this new relationship with discomfort, yeah. um, thoughts about drinking, urges to drink, like how has all that kind of evolved over the years? Yeah. I'm, I, at the beginning, um, they always call it rose-colored glasses, or you sort of have this new awakening where you're like, wow, this is truly something I didn't even know or understand. And and the um, the mind beginning to come back online after being offline for so long uh, just becomes an orienting, a reorienting process that you're really kind of watching with sort of... Uh, you know, a variety of identities at the same time. The old you's like looking for threats. The new you is embracing this, and the middle you is sort of discerning what it's gonna, what's gonna work, and what's not in the new life. And then, uh, you know, for me, the the next season was to try drinking again. So that this is the great news about people. I had one night in the Dominican Republic, all inclusive hotel. I was like, you know what? Forget it. And I drank as much rum and coke as I could in a couple hours. And, and I felt nothing. It was the strangest thing. It tasted like jet fuel. And I had been listening to the, this Bible Project podcast every night. And I was like, I need to get, I, I want to go back to my room and listen to that podcast. Like I wanted to. It wasn't like I have to or I should. So I did. And the next morning I woke up. It was like nothing happened. And um, that was it for me. Uh, but I feel like that honesty and truthfulness and being able to, to, to know, like, like in a way that was sad, like it's gone. Like, it's not like once we jump to one lily pad or whatever, if we're going to jump back, we, we don't just walk back. Like we now have to jump back. And when you jump back into what, whatever, it's not, I mean, that's the problem in relapse. Like, it's not the same. And and so now I, you got to grieve. Well, in a way, that's all gone. Like, it was already just, it wasn't even real anyway. So it's gone. Um, but at the same time, there's this newness of like, all right, there is no going back. Because there's always that thing, maybe I'll go back, maybe I'll go back. Well, actually, it's like the earth blew up. Like, you, you, your home's gone. Yeah. You can't go back. So you can only go forward. Um, and, 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 and in that then change occurs and then you, 
yeah, I think relationally get to know yourself. And suddenly you begin to pour out these things that you were doing in addiction that you were longing for in other capacities. Like for me, um, taking long walks in nature, you know, love that. Like I get such a, and it's a different kind of high, you know, it's not adrenalized or unsustainable, but I, I get what I was longing for um, in that space. Um, and doing, you know, now and reflecting back now, you know, now that I was a, a sober father to my son for four years, I mean, like, me and him are so close. And so having that relationship, you can reflect back on certain things like that mm-hmm. and not just be, oh, thank goodness I didn't drink. No, it's like, this is what I have. I have a, and it's always relational. I have this relationship with my son that is so deep and so warm and so connected. I can't imagine life without it. Oh, wait, I used to say that about alcohol, Mm -hmm. but my son gives me this. Alcohol gave me that. Yeah. Well, there's no comparison. Like, oh, wait, I'm actually getting what I wanted and then some and lots more. And so you get those moments, I think, where you realize, you know, how amazing the journey is and has become um but it takes yeah for me five years it takes i mean it's always going to be an exploration and uh to be curious and to be open and to to not be holding yourself uh to some kind of uh, accountability chart or something where you're not able to be truthful to yourself and be open and honest about your feelings is, is part of the process so finding that safe community i would say is is huge um, as well. You know, I have my family, I have care and treatment. I'm not a real, you know, I'm not a guy that goes out with the guys and does all these things, but, but, you know, I don't mind being in a sports bar or something like, but like I found competition, I could care less about competition. Now I enjoy participating in it and being a part of a team and maybe we'll win, maybe we'll lose, but, but I'm kind of on the same team as humanity. Yeah. If I'm on team humanity, well then why why am I, you know, pissed off if this team or that team loses? Like it I don't know. Things like that start to yeah. change. And so being open to that is very much like, oh, that's really who I am. Yeah. Um and 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 then yeah, kind of embracing that. How how is it like um or or maybe earlier on, um feeling super lonely or lacking or just having a horrible day like do you did you notice your mind look to alcohol like want to go back as that to that for the solution and then did you have to like kind of be with these feelings in a different way like how do you and I know this is like an impossible question to answer but how does one navigate that how do you be (laughs) how do you be with really horrible feelings that you had been kind of running from forever yeah, I think you. Yeah, it's a great question because someone will ask me, "What did you replace alcohol with?" You know, this is the sort of model. Yeah. I'm like, "What did I replace it with?" Well, I think we do early on replace the the worst addiction that we have for our other addictions. You know, so for me, um, I you know, co- business or work, um, you know, relationally, love. Um, sex like you you go into all the things that anything to escape yeah escape this like i gotta get out of here um gotta get out of here 
that feeling, because um, alcohol would always give you the escape, at least then if you're sitting there drinking at 3 p.m., you're doing what it is you do. There's nothing to escape from. You're there. Um, so um, that feeling of needing to escape um, does begin to go away. But it's very present, as you're saying, in the in the early days. And so finding these safe, you know, things to do um, that you can kind of throw yourself into, which I wouldn't recommend someone doing, but you, you know, you're, you're kind of at that stage where you're going to do it anyway. So um, if it becomes walking in nature or taking naps or working out or or whatever, um, you know, really, really giving yourself the ability to do that and not being so hard on yourself um, and to play out the mind game of what it's telling you. Yeah. To, to be curious about what it is that you really love while you're in that pain. It sounds like a trick or it's easier, but um, what you learn is um, and what's most important is you have to garner a capacity for pain. You have to. So if you don't, have a container that allows you to hold pain, I'm not sure you're going to be able to heal. And that's the sacred piece or the spirituality piece, you know, this ability to hold pain um, becomes the healing sort of antidote. And um, how do you figure out how you can hold pain? Well, it's, it's holding pain. And that never looks good. No, that never looks good. (laughs) But that is it. That is the, that's the right answer. (laughs) I mean, really, how else? And I've been talking about this so much lately, but it's like, yes, because our mind is just looking for, how can I hold pain? Oh, maybe I can have this insight and it'll make the pain not be pain. Maybe I can do this thing and it'll, you know, and, and we just exhaust ourselves with that. At the end of the day, it's like, you just feel pain. And in the just feeling pain, you see, holy moly, I can actually feel this. Like, like, yeah, I don't love it. Yes. But it's just not telling me. And then you see it over and over. And then that seems like it's how it grows. I know. And it, 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 it feels like it will kill you. And, and it, 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 yeah, the moment it's, you're actually finally surrendering to the fact there's no way out and you have to hold on to it is, yeah. and, And honoring that, you know, I think, especially in my case, like this, this sacred divine chase and deep longing, you know, like my wife, we've been together 26 years now. I love her to death, but why is it, you know, I come to the conclusion, why is it she can never give me exactly what I need? Like at some point I have to be like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And when I come to the realization that it's me, that she's giving me everything that she's got and actually that's not enough in the way I've, I've built this game. In fact, no one on this planet will be able to provide for me what it is I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. That feels terrible. Like, that feels awful. Like, because you're always thinking, oh, well, maybe this one, maybe this one, maybe this one. Yeah. Actually, no. No, you're, you're, you're not going to find what you're looking for out there. No. That pain is where you then get to sit and think, well, it's over. Like, it's over. And then, this, like you're saying, that's the invitation, the doorway, the spiritual 
uh, sacredness comes through as you sit in the pain and says, what are you looking for? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm here. I've been with you. You know, it's the survivor song. The search is over. Love was right before my eyes. You were with me all the while. It's true. And then you see truth, but you can't get there without the pain. You can't get there. If anyone tells you, it's just like, ah, nah, nah, nah. And then you get there and then you're like, oh, wow. So that discovery, you're right, won't happen without the ability to hold the pain. But there is a discovery that comes. <clears throat> You're right, it won't kill you. And um, it might feel like it. Um, and that's healing, right? I think, isn't that, uh, yeah, the ability yeah. to heal. So It makes me think of all the times when like, we get what we think we wanted more than anything. And then that's often followed by like such a depression or a letdown. You know, you hear about people that had no money and then finally they have money and now they're depressed with money. And they're like, what the heck? Well, like, yeah, because you're seeing somewhere in the back of your mind, you thought that money was it. The money's not it. And then you're right, relationship, this thing, that thing. But I guess we just see that enough and finally the search is over. It was now I have that song in my head all day. <laughs> Survivor was prophetic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, it just seems, yeah, you're, you're right. And the bad news is when those things do deliver what we want, yes. you know, then it just prolongs it. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Career yeah. for me and, and making money and all that. I did get such a, such a high uh, or such satisfaction out of it. I didn't need more. Um, but you're right. Then it, it does reach that point of, uh, and usually our bodies will tell us, everybody's like, how do you know it's time? Well, you're going to start to get sick. You're going to begin to have headaches. You're going to have an ulcer. You're going to, your body somatically begins to panic attacks. I mean, these, it just comes out. It's impossible for it not to. And so um, that's, that's painful. Um, but at least there, you know, it's the signs. It's that invitation to heal. Um, and no one's fully healed. So great news, right? I mean, if trauma is not, the event, but what, how your body processed it, well, then that's great news. We can heal. Like it's not, you know, it's just an event and uh, we're able to heal. And the healing is the, where I think relationship is because then I get to witness and testify to your healing because I see it and you're getting it from me. And then vice versa, we do the same thing. And now all of a sudden we've created this kind of bond that me and you have that no one else has because we each were there for each other. That can only divinely happen if we're suffering um, and we hold our pain together. And so you're right, as you said earlier, it's by, it's by design. So at least the guilt and shame piece. I'm not a guilt and shame guy. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very anti-guilt and shame. So we get to treat that and move that aside because, um, yeah, your identity is not rooted in these things that you've done and and it makes sense why you did it and um and I, we get to be together to kind of walk that journey and no one's there wherever there is because we're all already there like you said it's the yeah. paradox that yeah. always plays out yep. yeah yeah and and it's awesome that you're helping people through this now and i love what you said earlier about like kind of how this is shifting like for this to, and it's, it's everything you've been talking about here. It's like for this to be sustainable, there has to be some 
essence we're tapping into that's doing the heavy lifting for us. It cannot be all on me and this identity and this ego or whatever, you know? And right. So yeah, can you um, say a little bit about how, what you see around how recovery treatment has is evolving and shifting and kind of what people are looking for in it? Yeah, it's changing right now. I think faster, at least from my understanding of, of how it's maybe since the inception of treatment, which would be AA um, and just some of the medical studies that have been done on uh, addiction in general. So this greater understanding that trauma is driving this addiction bus more than anything else and the ability to tap into different healing modalities that maybe we weren't aware of back in the 30s and 40s when AA was formed um, has found people looking for these alternate solutions. So, um, you know, psilocybin or these other studies that are being done, um, even ayahuasca and these kind of things where you're tapping into something um, in a controlled setting. You know, Johns Hopkins is coming out now and saying, um, really breakthrough kind of stuff about the effects of uh, not just on addiction, but on depression, anxiety, ADHD. I mean, some of these, um, you know, real sort of uh, long-term conditions that shouldn't be treated long-term with certain medicines that stop working. So the game's just blown open. And so what we're seeing is more people wanting to go alternative. Uh, and maybe that's just the way things, just like people, how they work now or, or Bitcoin or, you know, people are looking for alternatives. And so um, we're having to adapt treatment to those types of people that think that way. And I, I think it's exciting. I think it's great. But I think you will see that the old model of go to rehab, do the 12 steps, um, do the work, right? This is a problem with that model. Like you just said, it's about, it's a way of being that is an essence of us that's inherent already. If it's about becoming aware of that and releasing that in a mystical way, why would we be focused on doing? If yeah. the first step is to kind of surrender, steps one through three are, we can't do this ourselves. There is a higher power. We need to surrender. That would imply that, that steps four through 12 would not involve us doing, right. but being. Um, so yeah, this new model is really um, exciting to, to watch develop. It's scary though, because addiction post COVID out of isolation and, and, uh, a lot of people are struggling that that maybe they're struggling to reintegrate into society in this new day that I think that we're in. And those kind of struggles, you know, we go, oh, mental illness is on the rise. I mean, what what does that even mean? I mean, to me, that would mean that we're all struggling yeah. mentally. Yeah. I mean, of course. And so it's just being projected in a, in a different way. And so treatment centers uh, need to widen, I think, their scope into the realms of not just new treatment modalities, but also what we would call mental illness. It can't just be addiction, you know, that we're dealing with here. We're dealing and 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 deep, dark depression, um, which is which is real for a lot of people. Um, you know, being able to handle that on a medical level um, rather than just because 12 steps is great. I don't ever want to diss it. Everyone should do it, um, addict or not, but it's not the, the, the answer. 
um, just like anything isn't the answer. So, and spiritual care. I think there's like 12 spiritual care counselors in addiction treatment right now. And half of them are at Karen. Like that would be going backwards in my opinion. If we're not talking about spirituality and the sacredness of who you are and your true essence, then I, I don't know what we're doing. Um, yeah. And we can do that with, with, with anything like in, in life, but yeah, what's the compass? What's the point? If we're not getting there. Then, you know, if the point's not to drink, I mean, sorry, boring. Give me something right. else. Yeah. Yeah. And just the model of counting days and the focus on behavior and this and that, and it just, it's just narrow and, it, and it's wonderful. We've evolved past it. I mean, I think, you know, obviously totally. 12 steps has helped so many people mm-hmm. medication at times, and even thinking of, of our mental health as in a disease model, maybe that had a time and place, but it isn't today. <laughs> it, yep. Like you said earlier, it helped insurance companies, but I mean, man, come on, we're, we're past this. And, and yep. I think what you're saying too, like so much in this conversation, it's like, yeah, we have a breakdown because that's life showing us it is time to shed this and move on to the next. And then we, then on out of the, you know, other side of our mouth, we're like, Oh, I have anxiety disorder. No, <laughs> or I have the, you know, so like to, just to have that bigger sense of everything you're sharing, like we do the best we see to do and we're getting feedback all the time. And that feedback comes in the form of our mental health and our behaviors and all of that. Um, Yes. When there's something there that is an essence that we can connect to, that isn't just our mind trying to manage things in a certain way, like everything just like blows. Everything, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything. Yeah. It's everything. And like exactly what you're saying, this fragmentation sort of idea that we can piecemeal out. This is your anxiety. We're going to treat. Well, like you said, if you're having anxiety about giving up drinking or what life's going to be like, that's, that's real. Like, let's don't not have that. Of course, let's keep it within, like, you know, how do we hold that tension? And so if your soul is like, I always, I just had a spiritual spirituality group here recently. And I, a guy was like, you know, I just, I was here seven years ago. I'm waiting for this spiritual moment and it just hasn't happened. And I'm hoping it happens this time. And I said, okay, tell me what the most spiritual moment that, how you define spirituality. What was the most spiritual moment you've ever had? And he goes into this description of the most amazing spiritual moment that he's looking for. He, he says, this is what happened. Like, I don't know, like six months ago. I'm like, dude, you do realize you've had what it is you're looking for. And when you tell somebody that, this deep longing that they're just hoping happens that they don't think will ever happen has already happened. Oh my gosh. He's like <laughs> 50 pounds of weight just left me. Yeah. I can't believe, how did I not know? And so it's, it's that veil, right? And as we just sort of, and we can't do it for them, we just have to sort of invite the uh, ability of sort of their soul to remove the veil yeah. Um, you know, and that's the, you know, from scripture, religions or thing, you know, why do people talk in parables? Well, some, for some reason, only a story sometimes will get at the depth of what it is we're trying to explain. And so, um, yeah, in his case, that, that was great. And so, yeah, letting them see what they're waiting for has already happened mm-hmm. or who they think they are, isn't the case. And now, oh no, who am I? Well, let me show you who you are. Tell me the most spiritual moment you've had. Well, that's who you are. 
Yeah. That's actually where you're at. You're, you, yeah. I felt peace. I felt comfort. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's, you're, you're there now. No, yeah. I'm not. No, you. You are, but you, you are. just have to find that saying, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And that's it, right? It's like that seeking mind is looking for something that, that it can't see. No. We, we hear the seeking mind looking all the time, but yes, it can't find this. It does the never mind. Never will. It, yeah, it never will until it has sort of discovered. And because it's deception, right? I mean, this is what well, I mean. And again, scripture, like the narrative in Genesis is about deception. You know, what the snake in the stories tells Adam and Eve is you will basically, here's why it happened. And you, so then you'll know that you, that you'll think you're made in the image of God. Well, in the story, they are made. He's telling them the truth. And that's the trick. You're in addiction. In this guy's example, you're being told the truth, but the truth is being told in a way that will deceive the mind as to what that truth means. And so the mind takes it and says, aha, that's what this means. Right. And that's getting at the mind game of, of course, the mind having to try and make sense of what's happening and what's going on. But it is in that not making sense of it that's really causing um, the pain to be held and the people to uh, have those awake. That's what I love about the business, just to watch. And then they're, you know, it's so funny. And then the whole group leaves. Everybody's like, that was amazing. That was amazing. And then, you know, as you walk down the hallway and then you hear them talking about, and then you're like, oh my gosh, I hope they got something <laughs> out of this because, uh, you know, it's, it's so rewarding to just do that. Um, I can't even, and you don't have to be in counseling. You don't have to be doing a step 12. I hate that language. You, you just be, you just to dedicate your life to getting to know the sacredness of who you are and the divinity within you. And all of this is just going to happen. Yeah. Being a, and, and opening yourself up to this awareness of what life actually is, is going to be science fiction uh, and, and let that science fiction just walk into it and let it, let it do you. I always say we don't do the 12 steps, the 12 steps do us. So let it do us and see what, see what happens. It's scary a little bit, but I don't know what else we're going to do. <laughs> it sounds like fun. <laughs> okay. uh, thank you so much for this conversation, Jim. This has been great. And I, I really hope people, especially people kind of at any point in their recovery, um, listen to this because I know they'll hear a lot in it. Oh, great. No, thanks for having me, Amy. It's been great. And yeah, if anybody wants to, maybe in the show notes, anybody wants to get a hold of me or needs more info or help or whatever in this space, I, this is what I do. So uh, I love it. Thanks for your show and thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. The 2023 Change Coach Training Program is a six-month, highly supportive small group training where you get to observe and debrief a ton of coaching before doing a ton of coaching yourself with support and feedback the whole way through. You'll leave the program feeling confident and ready to work with others and with the option of becoming a certified change coach. The 2023 training is filling up quickly. So check out all the details at dramyjohnson.com slash coach training. And please reach out if you'd like to talk or if you have any questions about the program. Mm-hmm.